welcome to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. I'm your host, Shannon Felt, teacher trainer, resource provider, and course creator for teachers around the world. In each episode, I'll share concrete strategies to help you sharpen your skills and become the very best teacher you can be. We're talking all things ELT, the most effective classroom practices, communicative methodology, and valuable tips for planning and teaching so you can help your students see real improvement in their language abilities. We'll also hear from language teachers and ELT professionals all over the globe who are making inspiring moves in our industry. So thanks for joining me. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Expand Your Horizons podcast. This has been a great couple of weeks at Tuffle Horizons because we have just finished week two of uh, this round of the Online English Teacher live teaching practicum, and we're getting ready to kick off week three on the day that this episode airs. Um, And it's been wonderful seeing all of the teachers teach their first couple of lessons. We've got a great group this time around, 11 teachers on the practicum, um, and they've taught some awesome lessons so far. So the lessons they just taught were reading lessons, which inspired me to do, um, not because the lessons were not good, uh, they were great, but uh, I've been thinking a lot about teaching reading online. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Uh, So in this episode, I'm going to share with you five tips for teaching reading online specifically. Um, If you want to think about teaching reading in general, you can go back to episodes 16, 18, and 19, where uh, Lauren and I talked about teaching reading lessons in person, like generally. So the first thing to know really is that whether you're teaching reading online or in person, there are going to be some fundamentals that really don't change, right? Like a lot of the things like the way that you stage the lesson, the framework, all that stuff is going to stay the same. So if that's something that you're not super familiar with, I would urge you to go back and listen to episodes um, 16, 18, and 19, and you can catch up kind of on the fundamentals. And then in this episode specifically, As I said, I'll share my tips with you for teaching reading specifically online so we can talk about what that looks like. All right, so let's get to it. Five tips for teaching reading lessons online. Tip number one, this is probably obvious, but the very first thing you'll need to do is consider how the students are going to see or access the text that they're going to read in the lesson. So in a physical classroom, right? This isn't even something you have to worry about. It's pretty obvious. You would just make copies of the text and physically hand that to the students in your classroom. However, online, obviously that's not possible. So you need to think about how the students will will have the text and be able to read it. There are a couple of options here. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I love using PowerPoint in online lessons. Uh, If you use something like Google Docs or slides on Canva or Prezi, that's that's all great. That's all the same thing. Um, so one option is to format the text on your slide and just have that as a visual part of the lesson. Something to think about is that often in an electronic course book or if you're using an article that you found online, you might end up with one really long strip of text, right, going all the way down the page or all the way down the web page. So on a PowerPoint slide or a Google slide, you you really have a limited amount of space. So you may need to do some reformatting. 
that may involve retyping, which I realize can be time consuming. But another thing that you can do is just take screenshots of parts of the text and then rearrange those screenshots almost like a puzzle with different pieces that you're putting together of the different screenshots. So you can rearrange chunks of the text on your slide that way um, and reformat it so that it's not just one long strip. If, however, that's not working or you still really don't have enough room on the slide or you just want to try something different, there are some other options. You could put the um, text into a Google Doc or a Google Form. Both are pretty easy to do. Uh, Google Forms is nice because you can even take different screenshots of the text, upload those pictures into the form, and the quality usually looks pretty good, and then include even the task or the questions into the same Google Form. And then basically you just take the link to your Google Doc or Google Form, send it to the students in the Zoom chat or whatever platform you're using in the chat, and then the students can access the text themselves and then they have the power to, you know, kind of scroll up and down and read it at their own pace, look at everything as closely as they want to. Uh, you could, I've seen students, uh, sorry, teachers do this as well, and even use something like Google Jamboard um, and put a copy of the text in a Jamboard so they can share the link that way. So lots of different options, but the point is that students need to be able to see the text clearly and have access to the text during the reading lesson. So that brings me to tip number two, which is something that you want to think about. It's important to get the task and the text, so by task I mean the questions that you want students to answer about the text on the same slide or in the same document. This is important because of something I like to call task before text. So what that means is in any reading lesson, whether it's in person or online, the students need to know why they're reading before they start to read. It's not enough just to give students the text and say, here, read this, because I think a pretty logical question that the students might ask is, why? <laughs> like, why am I reading this? Just because you handed it to me and told me to, right? The students need some reason and some motivation to read. So the way that you give them that is by giving them a task or some questions to answer up front. So it should always be read this and what's the thing that they're supposed to look for, right? Read this and choose the best title. Read this and choose the best brief summary. Uh, read this and answer these five comprehension questions, right? There needs to be a task that the students have before they start reading. So when they start reading, they know exactly what they're looking for. So again, in person, this isn't that difficult because you can just hand out those worksheets. You can put the task on the board. It's pretty easy to show them that task before they start to read. However, online, that can be a little bit trickier. So that's where it's really important either to put whatever task that is, like the three title options, on the same slide as the text when that's what the students are reading for. So this might take some, some working, right, to figure out how both of those things are going to fit on one slide. Um, that's why Google Forms can come in really handy or Google Docs because you can fit the task or the questions right into the same document or the same Google Form. Um, so that the students can scroll, you know, up and down, answer the questions right on the same form, go back up, look at the text, skim for keywords, or excuse me, scan for keywords, all of that good stuff can be happening in the same place. Okay, so this also brings us to number three, tip number three, which is that the students need time to read silently on their own. Yes, even online. I know that this can be awkward online, especially if you know, you're in a Zoom lesson, you're on camera, it can feel really weird to just sit there silently on screen. 
while the students are reading, but it's really, really important for the students to have this time. They need time to read at their own pace, to process what they're reading, to think about the questions that they're answering, right? To look over the text, maybe read multiple parts of it a couple of times. This is how the students are practicing their comprehension. Um, If you're not giving the students time to do this, you're robbing them of their chance to really dive into the text and practice reading it the way they would out in the real world, right? In the real world, we're not taking turns reading things out loud. We are reading things to ourselves. And that's what the students need to practice doing as well. So mute yourself if you must, if you find that it's hard for you to just give the students that silent time. Mute yourself, turn off your camera for a moment. You can tell the students that you're going to do this. You can say, you have five minutes to read. I will turn off my camera and let you read. Um, and that's it. Stop. <laughs> Go away. Let the students read um, and, and do the task that you've given them. So even online, reading aloud, still not okay. And that's all about um, episode 16. If you're questioning why I'm saying don't let the students read out loud, episode 16 is all about that. So go back and listen. You'll get all those answers. (laughs) You'll hear me rant about why you should not have your students read aloud in class. Um, Okay, good. So all those things go together, I would say, right? The students need the task up front. They need to see it as they're reading, and then they need time to read and do that on their own. What happens next? So that brings us to tip number four which is to let the students check their answers in pairs after you do a reading task. So this is really how you will gauge how the students did on the task, how well they were able to understand the text. Um, Online, I think this is especially important because you really can't see and monitor the students reading silently the same way you can in a physical classroom. So in a physical classroom, I can stand at the front of the room or even walk around the room as the students are reading, um, you know, maybe sort of sit unobtrusively off to the side somewhere as they're reading. And I can see their reactions. I can see what their faces look like. I can see when they're finished, when they start to look up or look around the room. I can see if they're frowning or if they look frustrated or confused, right? I can see if they're looking up a word on their phone. I can monitor all of this and get a much better sense of how the students are doing. Online, on camera, this is really difficult. I don't really have a good sense of how the students are doing during that individual reading part. So this is where the pair check comes in really handy, because once I send the students to breakout rooms and ask them to compare their answers together, now I can turn off my camera, mute my mic, and sort of go unobtrusively from room to room and get a sense of what they're saying. So if they're all saying, you know, wow, number two was really hard. I I didn't get anything for that. How about you? That shows me, okay, this is a tricky question. We're going to need to spend more time on this in feedback. So I get a sense of how confident they are, what answers they're getting right, what answers they're getting wrong, how much they're able to help each other, and how I can best support them when we come back together and go over the answers as a class. I've noticed some amazing peer teaching happening here as well. I think these pair checks, I know it can be a little bit of a pain to deal with the breakout rooms, but they're so valuable for the students to get to have that connection, either one-on-one or in a much smaller group with a few other students. So much good peer teaching happens during those times where they're, sometimes I'll see students even sharing, you know, one student will share their screen with the text and they'll be marking on annotating on the the shared screen and comparing answers and saying, okay, no, no, wait, look, 
it's letter C because look at this sentence right here. This proves that it's letter C is, is the correct answer. You know, all of that good stuff is happening in the breakout rooms and it's so valuable for the students to justify their answers together, help each other, and then they're so ready to go over the answers with you and with the rest of the group when you bring everybody back together. So that's tip number four. Closely connected to tip number five, which is when we bring everybody back together, you need to do feedback as a group that is somehow visual. So it's not enough just to elicit answers from the students orally. The students also need some kind of visual official record of the correct answers so that they can all look at your screen and see, you know, okay, yes, number three is in fact letter C or whatever it is. Um, so that's a great time for you to also share your screen, whether it's the slide that has the text on it or the Google form that has the text on it and the questions on it. Make sure you're sharing your screen and as you're eliciting the answers from the students, somehow recording those visually, circling the correct answer using the draw tool on PowerPoint or actually filling in the correct answer on the Google form, whatever you want to do. It's also ideal if you can, can share the text at that point as well. So this way you can have, um, as you're eliciting the answers from the students, you can ask them okay, what did you see in the text that made you choose that answer? And you can actually be underlining, circling, somehow visually indicating where the answer was found in the text. This is especially helpful for any questions that the students found difficult or that they didn't get right. Being able to visually show them where in the text that answer came from gives them more of a sense of satisfaction. Um, this is something that I saw one of the teachers do on this practicum session really, really well in her reading lesson. She actually had the text and the questions pulled up during feedback. And she asked the students when she would elicit an answer, her follow-up question would be, okay, what keywords did you see in the text that helped you know that was the right answer? And then she would highlight or underline the keywords in the question and in the text. So she was actually really sort of helping and training her students for what to look for next time. Next time they do an exercise like this, now they'll be a little bit better at it because she showed them, look, this is how you found the answer. This is the strategy that you're using. She brought that to their attention and it was really, really cool to see. It was very effective for the students. All right, so those are the five tips. You wanna think about how the students will see and access the text. You need to make sure that the task or comprehension questions and the text are visible somehow on the same slider in the same document. From there, students need time to actually read and do the task silently on their own. After that, make sure you let the students check in pairs or very small groups, like three, four students max in breakout rooms. And then finally, when you go over the answers together, make sure your feedback is visual. So that includes not just giving a record of the answers, but also some sort of visual indication of where the answers were found in the text. And then I have one more bonus tip for you. So bonus tip number six is about timing in a reading lesson. So a good rule of thumb for timing. Remember that in a reading lesson, your main aim is, no surprise here, reading, right? Reading comprehension is the main aim. So that means any other stages that don't directly relate to the reading part, like your lead-in, if you're going to pre-teach any vocabulary, all of those things need to be kept efficient enough that they're not eating into the reading time. Because what you don't want to happen is you spend too much time on the lead-in, setting the context, getting the students involved, and they're having a great time, but then you're halfway through the detail task 
and you're out of time and you don't really have time to do good in-depth feedback, right? Asking students to justify their answers, highlighting where the answers are in the text, all of that stuff that's really essential at the end of a reading lesson. If you run out of time for that, you really haven't achieved your aim of helping students practice their reading comprehension skills. So make sure you keep your lead-in short. I would recommend no more than five minutes in a 60-minute lesson or 45-minute lesson. Make sure you keep your vocabulary pre-teach stage short. This is obviously helpful to pre-teach vocabulary if you feel that there are blocking words in the text, but again, not at the expense of the reading time. So select um, not a ton of words. I would say five words, maybe six words maximum in a 60-minute lesson to pre-teach and make sure you're doing this efficiently. Um, I have some tips for you in episode, I think it's episode 19, that's dealing with vocabulary in a reading lesson. So if that's something that you're curious about, that's a good episode to go back and listen to, and you'll get some more advice for um, pre-teaching vocabulary in a reading lesson. Um, And remember that the feedback on the detailed task, like if that did end up being maybe more difficult than you anticipated, let's say students aren't getting all the answers correct, or they have some questions about why certain answers are what they are, you need to leave yourself time where you can really dive into that if you need to. Because if the students have those types of questions, it's going to be super frustrating for them if you're out of time and you have to end the lesson and they don't get those questions answered. Then they leave feeling frustrated and like they didn't understand the text and they didn't do well, versus if you have time to really get into that feedback, point out where things are in the text, ask students who did get it right to justify their answers, you know, get them to help each other, then they leave with a sense of satisfaction um, and improved reading strategies. So definitely keep other stages in the lesson nice and short and leave yourself plenty of time for the reading stuff. You can always have an extra task planned in case the reading doesn't take you as long as you think and you have extra time. All right, so try out some of these strategies and tips and let me know how they go. Feel free to leave a comment and tell me which tips you liked the best, which ones you tried out, and what you like to do in reading lessons that you teach online on your own. All right, that's all for now, everybody. Bye. Thanks again for joining me. Feel free to leave a comment on this episode or reach out to me directly at info at and let me know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and take a few seconds to leave a quick review. It helps so much in getting the word out there. And of course, if you know other teachers or travelers, I'd love for you to share this with them too. Stay tuned for the next episode, and until then, head to tefelhorizons.com for more resources and teaching tips. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons. Horizons.